Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ad.Dot podcast. This is Vaughn Vernon, your uh, host, and I have today the privilege of talking to Carola Lilienthal, and she is with the German company WPS, Workplace Solutions, and I'm going to talk to her about software architecture and domain-driven design. So I'll let her introduce herself a little bit. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Juan. Um, I'm German um, by by birth, and I'm I've studied computer science um, in in the 1999, 1995. I, I finished my doctor's uh, my diploma, and I did a lot of software development when I was young. Um, I programmed in Java. I even programmed in C sharp and and all that stuff uh, in the beginning. And today I'm managing. Uh, the WPS company. I had the great chance to be in that group who formed this company in 2000 uh, from the university. And uh, I did my doctor's thesis quite late. So it was 2008 when I had already 40 years on my record. And But this was cool because I, I could use my experience to write down what I saw in all those projects that I worked on. And um, well, I, I worked on, on complexity of software architecture, and this is now part of our company as a business. We create a lot of software, what we look at software as well for people to find out if it's complex, if it's sustainable, if, if they will live it, with it for a long time. So one part of my uh, academic history went into this company as well, and, and well, I don't do this anymore today because I'm, I found my my great interest in, of course, domain-driven design, but as well in helping my colleagues to develop in their career, to, to find out what they want to do. So I'm working a lot with humans today, but um, architecture is still my, my basis. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think the word manager you're, yes. you know, is sort of humble. In uh, German language, it probably means more, but you're sort of like the CEO. Right. That's sort of how yes. to put it. Um, so, okay. So you wrote a book um, yes. some time ago on software architecture, and it was specifically about sustainable software architecture. Uh, yes. How did how did that come about? Well, this came actually from my doctor thesis. Um, in my doctor thesis, I I I I still remember that moment when a colleague of mine who loved programming languages and he said well i want to work on the question of complexity of programming languages and in that moment i knew wow this is my topic you know i'm going to work on complexity of software architecture this is it you know and and i i started to um to work on 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 the question what which kind of architecture is complex for programmers, for, for people, for architects, for humans. And I looked into cognitive science and cognitive psychology and, and asked myself, well, what are we doing as humans if we have to deal with complex stuff? Because, I mean, we both know, everybody knows, software systems are immensely complex with all those bits and pieces connecting, doing things. So, and I, I saw that cognitive science um, had ideas about what the brain is doing in complex situations. And humans had complex situations, all their development, you know, I mean, they, they started with finding a way to, to, to Paris, you know, <laughs> how do I get there? Uh, oh my God, there is some, some royalty family. How are they all connected? There was always complexity in human lives and our brain uh, started to develop uh, techniques to to deal with that, to not be overwhelmed. Uh, and this was really a, a, a great story because I could create a complexity model for architecture from this. I can we're gonna elaborate on that a, a bit, of course. And then when I started to work in the company, when the doctor thesis was done, and I was I saw that. We can help people with this knowledge to, 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 um, to know what to do 
with software, how to really construct it so that the next person will be able to support it, to maintain it, to extend it, to do all the things we have to do with all these legacy systems. And, well, this is my love. You know, I, we look a lot at old software and tell the people what we think about it and tell them what to do to, to keep on living with the system. So this is how I came to my first book. <laughs> yeah, fascinating, actually, the, that study. So I guess this yeah. would overlap with socio-technical or what I refer to more as social architecture. Um, yeah. And may, maybe that's part of the, the book's um, message. And also, did, did it overlap with heuristics at all? Were, were heuristics yes. like, yes, yes, yes. I imagine so. Yes, Absolutely. And yes, I think, absolutely. I, I think what people um, don't understand so much about heuristics, like we're in even in the DDD community, there's a lot of talk about heuristics and forming heuristics. Like, mm -hmm. okay, this is this is my heuristic for doing this kind of thing, which yeah. probably the book offers those heuristics. But we kind of have built-in heuristics, right? Yes. So so there's like uh, when you. When you're going to kick a ball or yeah. you're going or a ball like a foosball, right? Soccer yes. ball is coming our way, we can understand immediately where the book ball is going. And if it's anywhere near us, we we can adjust our bodies yes. to trap what's called trapping the Absolutely. ball. Right. So Absolutely. and and why can we do that? It's because of heuristic that we have called the gaze heuristic. Yeah. And and we um And we don't even think about it. Like we're doing no math evidently yeah. in our, or, or we are, but we don't realize how complex the math is, yes. you know, happening yes. all at once. But this is something that we've trained ourselves to do through exactly. practice and so forth. So and there, are, there are other heuristics like that, which are just sort of like built in. And, and I had an interesting um, little, just a little exchange with uh, Dave Snowden, mm -hmm. um, you know, the cool. Connect, wow. Kevin, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, guy. And he, And he said that there is actually a line, I guess it's sort of a group of individuals who say that there, there is no real cognitive bias. We don't have cognitive biases. What we actually oh. have are heuristics instead. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're looking at it more like um, fundamentally built in to us rather mm -hmm. than, than and, it, and heuristics are a shortcut, right? Yeah. So instead of saying, it's a cognitive bias. They're saying, well, what we're doing is taking a shortcut to try to deal with the complexity yes. of some situation, exactly. right? So part of the these that we would normally call um, heuristics, I mean, um, cognitive bias, if you look at them as heuristics that are sort of built in or natural, it helps us to maybe not look at the people who are experiencing those or using those at some time as like, oh, you're uninformed or you are, mm -hmm. no, you're deeply informed. You're, you're, yeah. you know, and this is your life experience that's causing you to take this reaction. So yeah. it, I think it's a more positive way of looking at it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a very good point. Um, I, I never think about it as positive or negative or whatsoever, but you're, you're right, uh, because what I, what I tell people as well in my talks or in this book is we have three wonderful mechanisms in our brain that help us to deal with complexity, and they fit so perfectly with architecture principles, heuristics, that that it's really easy to explain you know you just have to know it and and um well uh, what our brain is doing actually is when there's complex stuff we do three t three things we start to do something that is called chunking which which means that we try to abstract that we try to put things together in a whole and say well i don't know the details this is just it you know And this is a great thing, but it only works if the things that we try to chunk are related, if they have to do something which, with each other, you know? So I always try to say to people, you know, if you, if you see a picture 
um, of a seal lying on a on a um, on a beach with some stone next to his head. It's near, but you can't chunk it because, I mean, what what should you say? Uh, a seal on a beach with a stone. I mean, it, this is not a great chunking name, you know. You need things that are related with each other. This is the idea of chunking. And if you think of software, we are talking about the same thing. We want modularity. And in the modularity, we want, want high coercion and low coupling. And this is just it, you know. And then if you know that and our brain is searching for this, you know, we I want to chunk. Then this is wonderful, you know. Or I, I say to people, imagine I'm speaking to you and I, and I have a water pipe coming out of my shoulder. You're looking at me and you're saying, what, what? she's the speaker with a water pipe. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's sort of, you can't chunk. We have to construct, I mean, software that is easy to comprehend in all its complexity need to be modular in this sense, you know, things. I mean, you can't build a manager class with uh, methods for printing and for sending events and for whatever on, you know, this is not modular. And, you know, if I tell this like this, it's it's very obvious, it's clear, you know, and it's connected with our brain. This is yeah. the first point in this whole story, you know, and um, then I say, well, our brain loves hierarchies. We can, we can um, remember much more if we have uh, a hierarchy, one word and other words underneath. So this is something we like. We like hierarchies. This, we should do this in software as well. We shouldn't create cycles all over the place. This is as well related to modularity, of course, because from my point of view, cyclic models don't have anything to do with modularity. You know, the basis, the basis class knows something from others that are stacked on top. This is, this is not good. This is even not modular. You know? And the last thing our brain is doing is really the most wonderful thing ever, Our brain um, is all the time trying to, to work with schemata, which means that our brain has ideas about things. This is a cat. This is a dog. This is a that. And we have variations of it. And this makes us much quicker. This, this helps us to recognize, to, to deal with the world. You know, if we, and they, they did a wonderful test, the cognitive scientists, they took a chessboard and they they showed they put all these um, figures on the chessboard and they they showed it to to people who don't know anything about chess and they said well look at it try to remember where they are those you know little figures there and then we take them off and then you have to put them back how much you remember you know and they did it with people who know don't know anything about chess and people who are chess experts And the result was that the chess experts put twice as much uh, figures back on the board on the right place than those who didn't know anything about chess. But only, only then if the setting on the chess board was something reasonable, something that would occur in chess. If everything was mixed around in nonsense, they did the same. They, The, the experts weren't better. And the cognitive science said, well, this is because they have schemata about chest. They can remember more about what they see because they use their schemata to... And this is great because in large and huge systems, you have to remember different things to find your way around. And, well, we do that in software. You know it. No, we have design pattern, architectural pattern, we have schemata and we should, we have to use them everywhere. And DDD is doing that. You know, we have building blocks. This is exactly what our brain needs. And, and I always tell people, well, this is, this is a treasure in your architecture. I always ask them, do you have patterns? Do you do that? You have to, you have to Work on this this treasure you, to to get everybody to know it to to have all your system in patterns in the end, uh, because yeah. our brain loves it. Yeah, and I think um, you know drawing the 
um, example of a chessboard and trying to remember the positions, the probably the people who are unfamiliar with chess are um, are looking more at the shapes, yes, and instead of what they mean and the and the situation of the board, right? So exactly. where are we in this exactly. sort of battle? And yeah. um, and and immediately a chess sort of expert or at least someone very knowledgeable of it they're they're looking at the situation probably more than um the the yeah. pattern of it and or the, the 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 visual of it and um i think if i understand where where you're going here it also means that like a consultant who has or a a person who has a lot of experience with architecture will walk into yes. a situation that they are unfamiliar with and they will say, yikes. Whereas someone else who's been working in this for many years, you know, and they've dealt with the, you know, uh, chaos or, or, you know, of, of the situation. Well, they see it and they say, well, that, it's not difficult for me, but bring someone else new onto the team just hire them, right? Bring five people and what happens? Their brain explodes, right? They exactly. cannot deal with it. They have exactly. no way of um, reasoning about it in the way that this very experienced person does. And likely, if they weren't working on it <clears throat> for the past 20 years, let's say it, it ex- yeah. it's existed that long, what they're not admitting is is how difficult it was for them to learn, I guess. Yeah, um, so, exactly. So having a fresh set of eyes on something and taking recommendations from those who have experience in doing things modularly, for example, then um, the the organization that, that's benefiting from that experience or could benefit from that experience should sort of let go of the of the situation of the chessboard, right? Yeah. And, and just look at the shapes. And, yes. Yeah. So. Exactly. So this is what we are doing in our company. You know, we we have standards of patterns or building blocks, if you want to talk in domain-driven design. And of course, we are doing domain-driven design, so we have that. And this is what we do. It's not possible to create new patterns just out of, I mean, this is what people are doing. You know, I'm, I'm sometimes, last time I was, last days I was in a company and they had, I had I looked at their system and and I told the architect, well, listen, ah, you, you're doing design patterns. This is great, but there is a lot. I mean, it's like sixty different patterns. I mean, this is and they are so similar. This is not a good idea. You have to sort of get down to to a base. And he said, well, yeah, I understand, but you know, our programmers they are artists. They need to create new patterns every year. Otherwise, they, well, they don't love to work anymore and, and they're not motivated. And, and I said, I understand, but this is nevertheless, this is not a good idea. But, but, but the, hose, the hose coming out of the shoulder pattern just really isn't very good. So I'm so this, a big fan of patterns, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and a, and a pattern is a sort of heuristic, so our, yes. our brains can understand them. Yeah. Um, so this is really what you're what you've been discussing. I wanted to ask you about the cognitive psychology yeah. behind software yeah. architecture, and that is what we've been talking about. So, yeah, okay. exactly. So yeah. how do we? How do you think then? I mean, we we have just discussed a little bit about the benefits of of applying that, but um, let's say that we. Um, have a way to deal with the complexity um, mm-hmm. and and using you know I guess copy um, mechanisms in our brain or something like that. Can you explain how that might work? Yeah. Um, so um, I don't know if you have ever experienced that, but um, the other day I was with a young colleague uh, searching a bug in some system, you know, and we came from the model view controller into the service. And this was, this were all patterns very common to our kind of construction, how we do it, you know? And then all of a sudden we came into a class that was called 
um, service supporter. And we we looked at it, and 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 this is this is just the point. It was something unfamiliar to us. Somebody named a class somehow. I mean, we could explain ourselves what, what this class was for, but we didn't know. If you think about pattern, you know what the job of a class is. You know, this is you you know the modularity. You know, a service is doing this. And an entity has this job, and a value object has this job, and the 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 connections, I, the coupling between those classes is restricted. A, a value object will never call a service. This is forbidden. This is doesn't exist. And if you find that, you know that this is a problem. So you know what all these classes should do. And if you come across a pattern, or even a class that doesn't even show a pattern. You don't know the constraints of this class. And this stops the flow because you're in the flow. Model view controller and your service. What is this? What, what does this mean? What is the role of this class in this structure? And then you have to look inside, you know? Oh, yeah, see, the other day we ran into a factory class. And, well, you know, everybody knows what a factory class is. We looked inside and we saw ooh, this factory was calculating. It was calculating, it was storing data into the database. And if you do these things in your architecture, you miss using patterns or you don't know, use them at all. This whole part of, of structure, knowing roles of classes is all gone. And your brain is just trying to figure out what this is sort of, you know, and all this help is gone. And this is why um, we, we benefit a lot from it in, in programming, in developing software. Absolutely. Um, does this yeah. come across why I mean yeah. this helps? Yeah. yeah. So you're, so what you're saying is, uh, I guess maybe in, in terms that I, that, mm -hmm. that I think about this is our brains have these three sort of natural, <clears throat> pardon me, um, complexity copying mechanisms. And so um, if we align the solution with what our brains are good at, right? yes. is, that, is that sort of the way to put it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes us so much quicker because in the end, it's about performance, you know, about being able to quickly repair, change, think about, extend software. This is what we want. Yeah. 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 Good. To understand so, it as well. Yes, absolutely. So, um, sustainable architecture and domain-driven design. Yeah. How, you know, let's think about how, how those might be related. And I just want to yes. say, um, I don't know why, but I continuously see these, you know, different people describe DDD as a methodology. <laughs> DDD is not a methodology. <clears throat> and I hesitate to even try to give it a definition because maybe I... You know, but I would say DDD is first of all a philosophy. <clears throat> I mm -hmm. think I think it's also a set of guiding principles and a set of tools. Yeah, and the tools actually that we use, some of them are kind of irreplaceable because they do align well with with our you know uh, complexity copying mechanisms in our brain, <clears throat> but others. You know, for example, there is no, in, in Eric's book, uh, the blue book, we, we don't read too much about function. We do see side effect free behavior and, mm -hmm. um, and that as an operation, but functional programming wasn't something that he really wrote much about. And yet you can still apply domain-driven design or, or implement domain-driven design using a functional programming language. No yes. problem. But you aren't going to really have the aggregate pattern because the aggregate pattern deals with uh, mutability, you know, ch changing the actual state of the object, whereas uh, the goal of functional programming is not to modify anything, but to always create new things. And yeah. so you would, you would create a new thing um, with the new effects, uh, well, not effects, but what the, the, if we were thinking about an effectful um, architecture or um, programming language, even 
we would modify, we would affect the state directly, but instead we would replace the effects with changed data in essence. Mm-hmm. Right? So, mm-hmm. so then, okay. So how do we, how do we get sustainable architecture yeah. with DDD? I guess yeah. is the. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, from my point of view, um, DDD makes just excellent use of these basic principles that I was talking about, modularity or cohesion and coupling and my love for patterns, you know? I mean, it's all there and it's funded in the domain. And I mean, this is, I mean, there can't be anything um, greater than that, you know? Of course, if you talk about sustainable architecture, what I'm doing, I don't talk so much about the domain in the first place, you know? I'm talking about cohesion, coupling, and patterns. But if I want to create software that someone really can use, I mean, I can't walk around the domain. I have to be interested in that. And this is the name of my company, Workplace Solutions. You know, we are creating solutions for workplaces. So we are we are absolutely interested in, in the user, what he is doing, why, how, and all this stuff. So um, for me, um, uh, the domain is actually the natural driver to get, to get uh, coercion and coupling right. You know, you can't, I mean, you can try to do it technically, but I saw that people were looking at cycles. I mean, I see huge cycles in software systems, huh? you know, like 5,000 classes all in one cycle, horrible things. And people try to cut them where there's not much c- coupling, you know, they think this is, I mean, this is a technical solution, but it's never the—it's never a good solution. You have to look at the domain at, to understand what this is done for, what which pattern are there, and then you have to cut in the right place. And it's often somewhere where there is a lot of coupling because someone didn't understand how to do it. So for me, uh, uh, this this fits wonderful, you know, <laughs> together. Yeah. Decoupling is not an arbitrary decision. No. (laughs) And so, well, then how did you see DDD um, kind of arise in in your career? Did it just sort of two things coincided or? Yeah, very good question. So um, I was raised in the University of Hamburg and um, we had a professor, Heinz Zülekofen, who wrote the object-oriented construction book, which is really old and all that stuff, who created um, at that time, already in the 90s, a, a tools and material approach. The idea was that um, users should work with materials and they are using tools to do that. And we had um, domain values, and we had material classes, and we had service classes, and we had tool classes, you know? And 2004, I was doing my doctor thesis, and we, we had pattern in this tool and material approach, obviously, because we had material as a pattern for classes. But I came across um, Eric Evans' book. It was, wow, another... Language, you know, we, we called it um, a language for, for architecture construction, a pattern language in the end. Here's another pattern language. Wow. And they started, and we started to compare them, and it's really not so far away. So, our method, our, the name tool and material approach was not as tempting as domain driven design. So, at some time, point in time, we said, okay, actually, what we are doing is domain-driven design. And we just, we just use these names today. And, and we often look at that and we say, well, someday we have to get this tool idea, you know, into domain-driven design. We have to do that someday. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that you actually see um, domain-driven design in, in terms of how it's presented in Eric's book as a pattern language, because yes. that's how I recognized it immediately and yeah. I've even talked to Eric about that. He said something, I don't remember exactly, but it was like, well, you know, if I was writing this book in the 90s, it probably would have been a pattern language, but he was definitely influenced by pattern yeah. language. You don't see really the same, uh, let's say, 
template for patterns that uh, in his book, but I think usually those bold statements are ended with therefore, (laughs) right? So this is a pretty good clue that we're going to solve a problem in a, in a um, reusable way. Yeah. I, I, I met Eric once, but I didn't really talk about it uh, with him about it. Uh, one, th- one concern that I have with all this, because uh, the thing that he told us is you have to use the language of the users. This is what you have to yes. do, the domain language. And calling his patterns building blocks didn't use our language the language of software developers. He should have called it pattern and a pattern language. So, and this is sort of a twist, you know, and I'm, <laughs> but I, I love his book, you know, I'm not, yeah. it's not uh, against it, yeah. but you, you understand what I mean? Well, I can't speak for Eric. I, I can only tell you what our conversation was, but I, um, I imagine there must have been um, maybe something like he may not have wanted his book to be connected with this long line yeah. of pattern books. And I, and I even recall in 2003, 2004, I talked to some patterns authors, right. Or actually pattern book authors. And their advice was not to write patterns anymore because patterns were become, it was too crowded and it was like already all the pattern books have already been written. So I don't know if that influenced his decision or, or whatever. I didn't, you know, yeah go into that any any further but also i don't want people when i talk about domain driven design i don't want them to know it only as a pattern language even though it clearly is but it is more of a philosophy it is more of a set of guiding principles even though patterns are guiding principles they are and and they are tools um still it it is a it's a whole different way of thinking at least if you don't come from, you know, like this sort of, I'm going to say, I think that small talk, the small talk world and, yes, um, yes. and, and that's where patterns talk. came, right? <laughs> and, that, and that's where patterns came from. A lot of people working in the early patterns were using small yeah. talk. Yeah. And, and so this sort of way that you develop software with small talk, which I was doing in the early 19, late yes. 80s, early 1990s. And, and it's like, it's actually, when I saw Eric's book, I just connected immediately with it. it you know, so many things were um, already familiar to me. And I think the thing that was so sort of radically different was the, the bounded context. Even though yes. we had divisions, they weren't driven by the language itself. It was, I guess you could say it was, but it was sort of the, the um, logical separations of where yeah. Seen, you know the different services yeah. needed to to be so, but giving those things names that's that's become that's very great. important. Yeah. Whether or not people like those names, I I really I'm not bothered by the names at all because we have names to to use. So that's that was a very important contribution to software development in general. And what we had at that time was something we called the. The U architecture. So we had the idea that the technic is is a, a U shape. Now, today we think about hexagonal architectures, but we had a U, and inside was the domain. So we were talking already about separating the technical part from the domain part. But in there we had the domain model, and then different sort of bounded contexts. But the domain model was one. And this idea to have bounded context-specific domain models, this was a real eye-opener for us at that time, you know, to, to do that, you know, to have that and to have strategic design and all, all that part. So um, it was, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book and, and we learned so many things, you know, from yeah. that and recognized things like you. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know if this... Um... I don't know if Amazon is still using these little uh, sort of robot things. They, they're they able to go around the, the warehouses and like elevate themselves and, and pick boxes off of high mm-hmm. shelves and things like that and just bring them for packaging and, and deliver or, you know, shipping. And, um, but I was talking to someone probably 15 
years ago or more, and and uh, they said, wow, what a domain model that must be. And from a DDD perspective, I said, do you mean domain models? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. So, you know, that that's a real difference. Like you're saying, yes. there were some don't, you know, like let's say some small talk models that were just enormous. I have seen small talk models um, that are, um, or, or even Java models that are like 500, you know, domain objects, like yes. 500 a- aggregate roots. And you would even call them aggregate root because in using top link, if you ever used top yes. link, it was the root entity, right? Was the, yes. so I, I don't know how much kind of influence the, those technologies had on on that sure. uh, the definition of aggregate, but you know when I saw at aggregate and at, and the aggregate root entity, I was like, oh, you mean like top link yeah. root? <laughs> you know, what I mean? so yeah, yeah. It, it, it was just kind of like, oh, I recognize this quite quite uh, well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you what do you think is? I don't know. Maybe we've sort of talked about this, but. What do you think is really the essence of the import of DDD in, let's say, in your business or or when you yeah. talk to colleagues? What is yeah. that that yeah. uh, real benefit? Yeah. Well, the the for me, uh, there are, I love three. You know, there are three things. The first thing is that we really have to understand what the user is doing. The domain knowledge is the most important thing to create good software. A lot of techniques, we develop things as well. But this this thing that said, well, stop. I mean, I don't know um, 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 if, 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 if you know this, but um, I once came um, across a, a cognitive concept um, that said, um, 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 if you... If you try to talk to someone about something and you use a, um, a method or a diagram form or something um, that only you know, you have the, the, the model monopoly on it. You have a monopoly on this knowledge and the other side will not be able to give you profound feedback. They will look at that if you cre- you're creating... Uh, a, a model, a database model, and you show it to the user, they will say, oh, they did a good job, quite complicated. I don't know anything about it. Must be right. You know? And then someone says, they said it's okay. And we go on and we, we build this thing. And afterwards, the user is saying, well, this is not what I need. You know? And just to, as a software developer, get out of this idea that we, we are the model creator, but we have to go there. We have to talk to them and understand their language and take this language as it is and write it down in texts or in domain stories, you know, Henning and Stefan are doing or in, in event storming, whatever. So to have a, a model, which is easy, I mean, a model to, to get the model, you know, the domain model, I mean, a modeling tool to, to get close to the domain model that is easy to understand and that the user can use as well. And where he can say, this is not right. I'm not doing it that way. There is no event like this. There is no uh, connection in the domain story like that. This this is so important that he really pointed us down, us down to this, um, to this, uh, under, this uh, understanding idea, to this, uh, to this profound knowledge that we have to go there and talk their language. So yes. this is the first very important thing for me. Uh, and then strategic design. We already had this, you know, this, wow, you can cut down a domain and construct the software like this that, that is heading towards loose coupling and high coercion. And then the tactical design, but we had patterns already before. So this is how I prior um, I, I do my priorities with, with DDD normally. Yeah. And I, I just want to say to your comment about I like three, you know, in, <laughs> in uh, for something like a decorate, like a, um, decorative, what do you call it? Like 
well, if you have a home decorator, let's say you hire a consultant as a home decorator, do you know what they tell you? Always have an uneven amount of objects on a surface. Oh, Always. Okay. If you okay. if you have three objects on a surface, excellent. If you put four objects on a surface, we're are it's sort of like it tells our brain, I don't like that. I for whatever oh, okay. reason we recognize it as and if you yeah. have five, that's good. But now seven, that's probably too many. It's still uneven, but it's like mm, seven, I don't know, three or five, that's good. One, yeah. actually, that's an odd number too, but one, not too interesting. No. So three or five is pretty good. And yeah. isn't that interesting how our, like yes. just visually when we see it, yeah. it's like, wow, that's pleasing. I like to look and, at that. And and I guess seven is not the, so good because our brain is not able to calculate seven i mean to see it you know yeah. our brain has its limitations and three we and five yeah we get it but seven woo uh, is it six or eight or what is exactly. it you know it's exactly. a bit like that and, as well. and then we have to count them we literally to know how yeah. many we have to say <laughs> seven yeah so yeah, very interesting um so let's get into a really interesting topic right now about legacy systems and legacy mm. modernization, right? So yeah. I have to say that every client or potential client that I speak with today is dealing with the legacy replacement, right? Part of me says, well, legacy replacement is really difficult, right? If you start, if you just start with, let's take this huge big ball of mud monolith and we're going to replace it. Um, that often doesn't work out very well. I, I mean, I'm not even sure that it ever works out well. So how do you deal, how, how, but how can DDD and the kind of three complexity copying mechanisms in our brain help us with um, modernizing legacy systems? Yeah. So um, uh, in my first book about sustainable software architecture, we created a measurement. We called it, Modularity Maturity Index. And with this um, measurement, we actually measure systems. So we look for modularity. We, we look for hierarchies. We look for patterns. And we have various criteria. This is all out there. People can read about it. The, the whole algorithm is defined. So it's not a secret how, what we do. And we give, I mean, companies are calling us to 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 ask us, well, where are we? I mean, are we good? Are we bad? They are complaining. Our programmers are complaining. Architects are complaining. But it works. So do we have to? What should we do? And we give them something from zero to 10. 10 is really great. And zero is really bad um, uh, in modularity, in maturity. <laughs> and um, um, from there, from, from where you are, so if you are between zero and four, you can't just start to do a strategic design and cut the thing into modules. You are far too far away. And, and if you're between four and eight, you can do some things. And if you are on the level of eight and to 10, then it's easy. You can just cut it into, I mean, easy, you know, but um, you can start to do it. You can start to think about it. Your brain, and, your and, brain can deal with it, whether you're yes, successful yes. Yeah. Uh, in the, in the big picture, or well, yeah. actually in the tinier pictures, yeah, yeah. then maybe not. And and yeah. but but domain-driven design offers us various things. So um, in this, when the when the software is really in a bad state, we actually start with trying to get people to do tactical design. The first thing I try to give them actually are domain values. I mean, value objects, you know, sorry, it was my word for it, but it's the same, you know. Um, I want them to start to, to increase uh, the domain knowledge in the source code. And if you have all kinds of strings and characters and ints and floats running all around the place and you start to replace them with value objects, the, the source code gains uh, domain knowledge. And, and this is sort of, I, I start to try to give them little help, you know, when they are in such a bad situation. And, and if the manager is saying, but you told us you're going to 
cut it into a thing, you say, well, listen, you are down there, you know, and you you spend 10 years of a team of 30 people to get there. I mean, I, I'm not coming with some secret miracle medicine, I, the, you know. Can, can I <laughs> tell you, if I, if, I had, <laughs> yeah. uh, if I had one euro for every uh, time that someone wanted the, the magic wand over yeah. there, yeah. The big ball of mud, you know, it's like they somehow yeah. they think, okay, I, I teach a three or four day workshop yeah. and I consult with them yeah. for a week and poop, wait a minute. What yeah. we didn't get anything. Well, first of all, you're trying to do too much all at once. Yeah. Right. You yeah. can't just succeed with that. No. So there yeah, there's a whole set of uh steps yeah. to to succeeding in that way at all. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and and it's not and by I mean, starting. Yeah. No, and, and, and I tell them as well, look, if you want to change your organiza organization, it doesn't work like in five days, neither. You know, it takes time. You have to, you know, and this is with the software the same, you know. And, and I actually start with, with these basic things. And, you know, I tell them as well, well, how many unit tests do you have? I mean, test automizing, you know, where, where, you know, and then, oh, 10% uh, or something. I mean, what should I tell them? Change your architecture? Wow. You know, it's, no, change. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you got to have tests first. And yes. So, so, yeah. Now this is interesting because you're, you and uh, Henning Schwentner are yes. working on a book to get now you. Okay. So the background, our background is that uh, you and Henning translated Domain Driven Design Distilled, my book, to German. Yes. Yep. Yes. So did. thank you again. It was and, a pleasure. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then uh, Henning and Stefan um, worked on domain storytelling together. Yes. All, all of you, you know, in the same company. And now you and Henning return as the dynamic duo. So now you're working on this book about legacy modernization. Yes, like, okay, exactly. How do you actually do that? And I'm going to guess that there are some patterns and heuristics involved in, yes. in that. And I think you're even, maybe your book will end up in my series. Is that true? I Is would that, love to. <laughs> I'm very excited about, about that. So um, tell us about the book. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Henning and I, I mean, I wrote this first book about sustainable software architecture. There is already some DDD in there. You know, there are like, like some chapters of DDD. And um, the German company, uh, D.2, did my German book and as well the English book, actually. Um, they said, well, Carola, you have to write another book. You know, it's time. And I said, <laughs> okay, but uh, it must, I mean, I want to do something with domain-driven design. Yes, wonderful, do the, do so. And and then at some point I said, I, I, I said to Henning, well, listen, all the consulting, it's you, it's Stefan, um, we have to do it together. And then Henning and I just started. And um, it took us a lot of time because um, this was, I mean, my first book, there was already the knowledge. My, I knew what I was going to write about. You know, I had my doctor thesis and it was, it was quick. It took me half a year and this book was done. And I was working on, uh, no, it was just weekends and stuff and, and, and um, holidays. And this book, and, and now I, this is the second book that I wrote and I felt, wow, this tech, this is, this is annoying because it takes so much time. So the the German, we started two years ago, and we we handed in the German version end of uh, beginning of March, just before the, all the all the the health problems I had. It was exactly the the good point, but it was really really um, stressful to get to that point because this was all new. I mean. It, the, the text was new. We had to write it down. We had to think about it, everything. So what is in there? There is a first, I mean, we start with complexity because, you know, <laughs> I talked about it already. And I love this, um, this um, subtitle of, of Eric's book, Tackling Complexity. You know, this is, this is, this relates my, says my whole, says it says a lot. And uh, so we start with complexity and we start to, um, um, to look at complexity um, at 
essential and and uh, so at, at complexity that is in the heart of things that, that is essential and complexity that is just there and you don't need it you know it just came in because you did something wrong what like this and then we look at all the things we have on the in the problem space and the solution place to reduce this complexity and we start just with uh, in the in the first three chapters, we just explain domain driven design, um, uh, collaborative model, modeling, so domain storytelling, event storming, and all that stuff, and architecture principles. And then we go into the second second part of the story, and there we were we are speaking about um, about the the things you have to do before you can do strategic design. So. And then there's a last part about strategic design. And in this middle part, we talk about some things that, that I, I already mentioned, like, well, start with some domain values, get your infrastructure right, you know, get your, I mean, all these things that people have to do when they have legacy and then they can show this to their boss and say, well, but they say it, you, you have to start and you have to have a continuous integration chain and and before and we have to have some some tests you know this is this is the basis we can't cut this thing into into um, bounded context before we don't know we, we, we call, before we are not safe with with our yeah. with our source code you know and yeah. and then yeah and and the last chapter um which i would love to give you is about we are thinking about, I mean, what I, I started to think about this some years ago that I, 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 I feel or I see that there are different kinds of domains out there and they need to be treated differently if you cut them into bounded contexts. And we see that as well in our projects. And, and I mean, this is just like a beginning, we just wrote it down to, to get people to start to discuss about that. Um, and well, in German, there are already 380 pages, so I don't, it's <laughs> a lot of stuff. Um, and I hope people will love to read it because we did a lot, a lot of pictures in there and all that. Um, but this is somehow, I mean, I promised my husband to never write a book again, you know? Yeah, well, <laughs> we're good at breaking those kinds of promises. Um, and I, yeah, and I, I have to say too that you said something about health problems. I just want people to know that um, Corolla is not, uh, is not no. uh, fading out somehow, uh, you know, like one foot on a banana peel, as we say. But, but uh, actually... Her limitation right now is she might not be able to pitch right-handed in the uh, yes. Major League Baseball in the United States. Okay, no. so but but maybe even in six months you could yes, pitch they said. In, in the MLB. In, so yeah, so my shoulder will be will be in a good shape good. after yeah. six months. Again. Excellent, excellent. So then, yeah, <laughs> so didn't want to worry anyone there about sometimes no, say health problems. You. Yeah, so you want to write tests, right? You want to yes. add tests. What what would make your tests like really understandable? Well, if you if you didn't have entities that have somewhere between thirty and one hundred attributes in a yeah. class or properties in a in a C sharp yeah. class, right? And you and you scan through there and you found out, well, look at that. These ten properties are actually related to each other. So let's put them in a value object and let's give it a meaningful name. And you know what, what else we could do? We could test that value object. Exactly. Then when we add it to our entity, we already know that the value object works. And look at the cognitive dissonance that we've gotten rid of because now those, let's just pick a number, like those 40 things are now 31 things instead, yes. right? 31 things. So we just eliminate and, and you know what i'll bet we could do that three or four more times or even five yeah. and we might yeah. end up with seven different value objects yes. and we might have to say one two three four five six seven just to see that it's yes. not six and it's not eight <laughs> but but i will guarantee you that that is way easier to reason about yeah. and test right 
Yes. Then and our brain have, will yeah. love it. Our yeah. brain will love it because yeah. it loves chunking. You know, yes. this is exactly what you <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, very exciting um, yes. uh, prospect to, and, to have that book. Yeah. And of course, with testing, I mean, I go nowhere and tell them to do testing all over the place. It's exactly what you were talking about now. I love this scout rule idea, you know, that you test where you change something. Like a scout that that puts his tent up where somewhere and when he leaves the next morning, he has to clean up the place, you know. So if you change the software by having domain objects in there, value objects, um, then you write a test if you change the software. So this is, this is just... Um, just the, the point that we are making. It's, it's nothing new, you know. It, I mean, yeah. everybody is saying that, but you know, in in all this, well, how do I get slowly closer to a good, sustainable software following domain-driven design? This is one uh, one other yeah. little idea, you know. Yeah, and and I think it's also important to understand that um, five things, you know, if three things are quite understandable. And five things are very understandable as well. And seven things are a little less understandable. You don't make that say, well, this class now, this, this entity has too, too many, um, you know, concepts in it. So we're going to move those out into no. a different no. entity, right? That's not, we are not talking arbitrary no. No. counts here. So no. it, does it still fit? you know, the language for that yes. specific, right? Can we still tell stories about that specific part of the yes. language? And does it make sense? Okay. Seven yeah. things aren't so bad, right? right. And it's Except way better than 40. Um, yes. But what if we notice that two of those things change for, or even one of those things change for different reasons Mm -hmm. The rest of it, could we take that one out? But wait a minute, we have six instead of five. Is that no. bad? No, no. It, it is the language and how how yes. we think about this and and talk about it, right? Yeah. So it's not it's not a count. It's not a count. You know, no. it's not the uh, count heuristic, so to speak, no. or the even it's number heuristic. About, or yeah, yeah. No. so yeah, it's yeah. never about numbers. It's about cohesion. Mm -hmm. No, so if seven things are a coherent thing, they have to stay together. Yeah. And if it's, a, if it's eight, it's like that. It's, you know? it's eight, it's eight. Yeah. yeah. But 40, you probably got yeah. a yes. problem there. That I'm going to yeah. just say yeah. a lot yeah. of those things that are 40 different things right now are really closely related to each other and or some of them yeah. in some way. Huh. Okay, so now with these two kind of um, themes does someone have to start, like, before they read your book, do they have to understand yes. these themes right away or do they start somewhere else and go, okay, we need a prerequisite to this? What, um, how do they No, I mean, um, in, on, I mean, for me, uh, in all of my books, um, I think even uh, people who are starting their career in programming can understand a lot because, you know, um, I'm often looking looking at our discipline a bit like that. Well, we are like the people who were constructing constructing cathedrals in the 12th century, you know. There are a lot of people who know how to put bricks onto each other, but creating a cathedral that will survive 5 800 years like Notre Dame in Paris or you know the 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 big cathedral in Cologne Therefore, you have to have someone who understands huge system construction, huge cathedral construction, you know. And at that time, those were visionaries that were not, there was nothing about static written down. People couldn't calculate it, measure it and all that. And we are a bit like that, you know. People know how to put language, uh, I mean, statements on top of each other. But a lot of people that nobody ever showed them what it means to create something huge. 
And they're doing it all the time in a tempo unbelievable whatsoever. And we have to give them this knowledge, you know, and so they can understand it. They understand these things if you tell them really in a good manner, you know? Yeah. I, and I think that uh, some people in Barcelona could probably confirm that, right? About that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, actually, we'll meet in person and less than well what is it three weeks or four three, three weeks, weeks yes yeah. Yeah. so we'll see you at the uh como camp and yes first in, and in uh, hamburg <laughs> and then in hamburg yeah and yeah so i really look forward to to being overseas again i've been to south yes. america for first time in you know out, out of the country travel back in november but Wow, looking forward wow. to Europe again. So, oh yes, yeah. we are so happy that you're coming. It's such yeah. a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> Goodbye for now, and we'll see yes. you soon. Bis, bye, bis später. Okay. Bis bye. Cheers. <laughs> if you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe and stay tuned for more. This podcast is sponsored and produced by Kalele makers of Domo Roboto and the Zoom platform. To learn more, visit kalele.io. That's K-A-L-E-L-E dot I-O. Thanks for listening.